This episode of That Dan Band Show is brought to you by the Captain U Recruiting Platform, powered by Stack Sports. Captain U is breaking into the band space to offer support to high school students who are looking to perform in band at the collegiate level. With over 10 years in the recruiting industry and over 3 million student profiles created over the years, Captain U has long been a leader in athlete advocacy and support. Now, it's time to provide that same support to band performers. Captain U creates a direct line of communication between musicians and college band directors. With the LinkedIn style profile, performers can put their best foot forward with searchable criteria like their position, academic info and test scores, audition videos, director recommendations, and potential majors. Performers can directly message college directors to learn about scholarship opportunities, a university's academic strengths, and ultimately place themselves at the right institution. If you are a high school band student looking to perform at the next level, go to CaptainU.com and create a free profile today. It takes less than five minutes and will save you time and money. And for a limited time, we are offering performers 50% off an upgraded profile by using the promo code TDBS21. That's right, 50% off an upgraded profile on CaptainU.com by using the code TDBS21 at checkout. Sign up on CaptainU gain exposure and get recruited powered by stack sports and we are rolling we have a special guest today on that dan band show we got the man who's generally behind the camera proverbially in this <laughs> internet space but we have uh, that dan band shows one and only and original producer Pete Davidson, as well as the sales director of Captain U Recruiting. So before I go too much into the backstory, Pete, just tell us about what you do, what you're doing, as well as kind of your background and how you maybe got to the place you're at right now. Yeah, for sure. First of all, really, you know, exciting to be out kind of in front of everybody, all of our listeners now instead of behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, so as far as my background, uh, you know, was really excited to be working with you, Dan, and, and kicking off this podcast because I grew up really fascinated by the marching arts and spent summer evenings with my dad and grandfather, actually. So going back a couple generations, uh, attending drum and bugle corps competition shows in a, a small high school football stadium in Hornell, New York, which is in Western New York, about, you know, six hours outside of the city for those, for everybody who uses the city as kind of their, their point of reference. Um, but it's the town where my dad grew up in and it was where I was first exposed to marching band. And, you know, I played a little bit of trumpet, uh, did the like fifth, sixth grade band and all that kind of stuff. Didn't really stick with it. Um, shifted to guitar, uh, around middle school, high school. Cause that's what I thought was cool at the time. And, you know, thought that would impress people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, definitely always kind of had that draw towards the marching arts. And, you know, my dad and I have always connected over big scores in a movie that employ, you know, the big sounds of brass or, you know, we've big fans of going to the Denver Center for Performing Arts anytime that, you know, the Colorado Symphony does. Uh, they did like a John Philip Sousa set a few years ago. Um, and they've, they've done shows where it's like the music of the music man. That's one of my dad and my favorite, uh, co-favorite movies of all time. So, you know, just kind of been, I guess, adjacently fascinated by this world for a really long time and, and saw that as a great opportunity with, you know, the launch of this podcast to really dive in with both feet, learn about the performing arts and the, the marching industry. And yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride so far. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely very cool. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I love that that context and the background because we always talk, like I think you've even heard in just a bunch of conversations about, you know, how insular this world is. And like, especially for me, like I'm a person that's very interested in bringing it into like a more popular space and, you know, putting out products that are popular. But can you talk to us as well, you know, just about like, how do you and I connect and, uh, you know, a little bit about uh, Captain You and Stack and maybe about your background in sports as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been with a company called Captain U for a little over six years now, and we are acquired by what is now Stack Sports as part of you know this this working towards providing kind of a one step platform or a one stop platform for any uh, high school or, or even beyond athlete looking to kind of guide their process through athletics from you know Pee Wee all the way up to the pros was kind of the the motto when we first started out. And the the part of the tools that I currently oversee right now is a team that directly works with college coaches to help them find their recruiting classes for the following year. And the way we kind of present ourselves is we're very similar to like a LinkedIn for high school athletics, where the athletes are the you know proverbial job seekers in this metaphor, and the college coaches are the interviewers, right? And the, our database is set up so that athletes and coaches can build relationships and really get to know each other before committing, whether it be time, resources, you know, just investment by either the parents and, and family or the, the collegiate teams themselves. You know, we want to make sure that this is a good fit. And one of the real priorities at Captain U is trying to place athletes, in, you know, with programs where they're going to earn a degree. I mean, these are student athletes first, and that's something we definitely take very seriously on our end. So trying to kind of guide these, uh, where I come in is trying to kind of guide these college coaches on their their path to identifying this talent, um, communicating with the athletes and their parents in a way that makes sense and, you know, is is lucrative and, and I guess, valuable and builds value for both the college coach and the athletes and parents. And then eventually, um, hopefully narrowing that down until we, we find the best fit for the, the perfect program for these athletes and, and putting them in a position to succeed, not just a year or two down the line, but for the rest of their lives. Because getting a, a collegiate scholarship or even playing collegiate athletics is a life-changing opportunity for many people. And so kind of where that brings us around to the marching band world is um, the general manager, a gentleman by the name of uh, Tanner Highland and myself kind of put our heads together and we're, we're picking our brains for other areas of the world that we could bring this level of sort of relationship engagement based connection to. And the marching arts for one that we felt was grossly under appreciated currently and an area that just does not have a ton of support when it comes to recruiting and what those next steps are, you know, for, for a family. Um, and, you know, through that, we brought Dan on and started this podcast and, you know, I've been spearheading this kind of from the spring months into now and uh, are looking to really engage with as many of these college band directors that we can and just kind of provide them with a safe, secure space to be identifying key performer talent and, you know, hopefully someday even help out with like auditions and school trips and, you know, recruitment trips and things of that nature. So the sky's really the limit, but without giving too much of uh, a long-winded answer, I think that's kind of what is a good capture of kind of what we're looking to accomplish. Absolutely. So it's been super cool, um, you know, just learning in the field about not only what we do from an athletic standpoint, but also its relationship and, you know, differences, contrasts, similarities to college band recruiting. Right now, we're just focused on 
athletic bands. Um, so generally ones that perform on the football field, uh, on, in halftime or on the basketball court, um, ones that are tend to be aligned with sports. Um, so the athletic and the band thing, they, they're very much in tandem and the amount of visibility that any college, uh, athletic band program has, it tends to be in relationship to the level or exposure of certain teams they have. So for example, um, the George Mason University indoor drumline, where I'm one of the, the directors, a creative director specifically, came out of funding when the GMU basketball team made it to the final four. It was, it was a necessity of exposure. And all of a sudden there was all this attention and all these eyes on that program to that exact point. There are so many college bands out there that might not have that Div 1 football team, but they're out there and they need players, they need members. And in our space, there's no database, there's no singular streamlined kind of system where in any competitive level, because as you know, like we've been, we've been talking about college band, but we also have talked extensively about DCI and WGI and wins and percussion and all the different facets and all the different levels that none of these circuits really have a place to go. When you have a member drop, it's, it's word of, we operate exclusively by word of mouth in a subterranean network that, per, that has no scaffolding and has no clear orientation. It's, it's wild west style, I think is what we kind of, we label it and, and everyone knows that. So the first place I want to go is transparency. Um, what kind of tool Captain U is in terms of providing that transparency to students? So for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll end it with this is I think we're in a time where students need more information. And if you're not able to provide that information, they kind of can flag that and feel something out. But when I was going to college, I think you're, you went to school very similarly. My vetting process for why I went to college and where was haphazard to be delicate about it. Um, considering the amount of money, the amount of loans, there was nowhere for me to go. I guess I could like research the bursars website and the financial aid website, which are like reading biblical texts. Yeah. Like it's so confusing to read. So it's like, when you think about athletics recruiting, even outside of just like general college recruiting, like what is it about athletic recruiting that it, it's, it's more in touch with the students that they're trying to go after and to get on their teams? Like, what does that look like? Like, I just love to hear about that from your perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I think you, you touched on a few different things there that, that are, I really want to make sure that I capture. So I think first and foremost, the, the point that you made around exposure is, is very, very apt because that's a word that we throw around in our business constantly. And what we, what we mean by exposure is from a student perspective, it's just getting your audition tape in front of as many directors as possible because you never know who could need whatever piece of the band that you potentially occupy. You never know who could need, you know, that that winds player or that percussionist for that specific part of the drumline. So when we're talking about exposure, that's really what we're referring to is the effort to try and get these athletes as many potential conversations as possible. And from a band standpoint, I think there's such a massive delta between, to your point, the top programs and everybody else. And, you know, I'm going to have to get my LSU shout out in here somehow, but like the golden band <laughs> from Tigerland down at LSU plays in front of 100,000 people 
seven Saturday nights every yep. single every single fall period. Yeah, they have that audience built in just because of the football stadium. And, yep. you know, that's only football. That's just the football home games. That's nothing with travel. That's nothing with basketball. So they're already reaching an audience that I would assume just through that one particular entity goes beyond the scope of many smaller collegiate marching programs just from pure exposure. So yep. what we're looking to do both from the band director and also from the student standpoint is is to provide some of this guidance, some of the scaffolding to, to your point. And I think that's a really great term there that you mentioned. And so I'll start on the on the director side and and you know not just the collegiate director side, but the band director side at large, and then I'll kind of shift to what we can do for the actual students. So from the band director side, and, and again this goes beyond just the collegiate conversation in, in my opinion. And you and I have been looking for new areas to explore, new ways to flex this tool, and just new people to engage with on the platform. But the goal here is really to provide directors with that conduit, that that platform to distribute that information that you referenced, to educate their the students, the athletes, the performers, whatever, whoever they're engaging with, on the values, the draw, the benefits to marching, to performing with their institution. And on Captain U, the, the platform is really meant as an education tool. It's meant to open up a conversation. It's not designed as a one-time email blast dump system where, you know, you email 5,000 people, you get six responses back, and you never touch it again. It's not designed that way. It's designed to open up and foster an actual conversation. So when we think about this from the director's standpoint, not only being able to identify key talent, but then also to engage with it in a, in a clear um, concise and also secure uh, world is just something that we find that I think is really missing from this space right now. And then shifting gears to kind of the, the student side of this, when we talk about this from a value standpoint as a resource, unless, in my personal experience, I shouldn't speak for everybody, in my personal experience in talking to parents of students who've used Captain U in the past, whether it be on the athletic side or on the band side, unless these these students have an older sibling who has gone through recruiting within the past five to 10 years. So not, not outside of that. Well, I would even say the 10 year window is probably no longer apt anymore. So within the last five years, parents really are looking for resources to help guide their hand a little bit, not necessarily do the process for them by any means. And that's not what we're here to do either. But the idea of this scaffolding where that if a, a student or a parent or a director in this case ever feels like they are out in the cold, spinning their wheels or uncertain about what their next step should be in their recruiting process, we want to be the resource that they can reach out to and say, hey, here are some things we found some success with in the past. Why don't we give this a shot together? Um, and then, you know, we provide a support system for them and kind of guide their hand through this recruiting journey. And and we really do treat it. And that's the term we call it internally. It's their recruiting journey, right? Because this is not confined to days, weeks, months. This is a process that takes years for a lot of these students and their parents. So we want to kind of be there every step of the way and, and be providing support and resources and guidance and, and help wherever appropriate and possible while providing a safe space for these students to communicate with the collegiate and out beyond programs that you know are looking to recruit them. So I think the, the context and comparison is really important here. Um, you know, we can identify some of the mechanics that take place um, or lack of mechanics in the marching space. I think a good jumping off point would to be would be rather to hear um, 
kind of what the, the average recruiting journey or process looks like for, let's say, your your average soccer player who is, let's say, a sophomore or junior in high school. They're looking to go play uh, maybe at the Div 2 or 3 level. They really want to continue. They love the community that it builds. The social aspect of it is huge. They love, you know, the physical activity of it, the, the schedule and the routine. Like, these are all the same reasons by the way, that people do college band because there is right. no competitive college band. It's not like I'm trying to get recruited to Ohio State to like win the college bowl. Like that's not what happens. It's very intrinsic. It's very cultural. It's not, there is no trophy. So the, the, but those driving forces are very similar to like any program that's not going to be the most famous, huge program. There's only 10 of those really. And, and it, for soccer, really, I'm not too sure of like hyper popular, you know, collegiate soccer programs as a layperson from my perspective. So um, just, you know, for all the years that you've been doing this, like, what does it look like? I'm a sophomore or junior soccer player. What do I do? What are the places I go? Like, how do I get jump started in this recruiting process? I actually love this question. I think this is a really great question because, and, and I'm unfortunately going to be a little bit difficult because there is no simple answer. And that's part of, I think, where Captain U can come in because recruiting on a different sport by sport basis can even be so so different. And I love that you used soccer as an example, because for instance, in women's youth soccer, if these athletes aren't committed, at least verbally by sophomore, junior year, they're viewed as quote unquote behind. Now that sounds a little crazy to me. You know, these are mm-hmm. 16, 17 year old, you know, kids that are making these decisions. Um, and obviously there are certain programs where like, yeah, if you're going to go to your dream school and they offer you as a sophomore, of course, you're going to sign that letter of intent. But, you know, that is very specific to women's soccer, that early sort of commitment age. Whereas in a lot of other sports, it comes very much later. So I think, you know, for that, that's really where Captain You can provide some of that benefit, some of that value is, helping families and, and athletes navigate the nuances and the differences there. And, and we hope to bring some of that to the marching arts too, which is, you know, recruiting for collegiate marching bands, very different than recruiting for drum corps. And we want to try and provide sort of the, the, the balance between those two for parents who maybe have had all of their other children go through the athletic recruiting. And now they're trying to bring the same process to marching band and it's just not working because they're two completely different worlds as you and I, I think are finding out. Um, so kind of with that in mind, just to, to paint the picture and to go back to your original question, the sort of average recruiting process for most high school athletes is obviously, you know, being identified at a fairly early age. Um, you know, and that age seems to be going up earlier and earlier every year for better or worse. Um, you know, and I think it's it's anywhere, at least where we come in, is encouraging athletes to kind of create this Captain U account as freshmen before their freshman season. So if they're, you know, you're a fall athlete, you should be doing it the summer before you start high school. And regardless of how good you are, if you're at the top of your team or if you're a starter on, you know, varsity as, as a freshman or if you're on the freshman team as a freshman, start just collecting that information. And again, I think this can also be applied to the music arts as well. Just start collecting this information and sort of build yourself your own resume, whether it be academic, athletic, musically. Uh, just sort of build this resume so that when it does become time to sort of promote yourself, promote your own personal brand within the recruiting space, you have this beautifully built profile to fall back on and showcase all the amazing things that you've done throughout your career. Um, 
And so kind of the typical process is uh, for one of our athletes is to kind of do that for the first two to three years and then to begin engaging with college coaches, typically Mm -hmm. around the junior year. Um, And then we'll spend the next 18 months kind of figuring out which offers are the best, negotiating any, any scholarship offers, and then signing a letter of commitment. Awesome. So what are some of the, let's say we're peeling back the curtain on the recruiting process. You know, mm-hmm. you're a junior in high school, you're a senior in high school. It's like, where do I want to go to school? Or I go to this school over here because it's like somewhere that I like. I'm going to go to this school over here because I have friends there. So I'm going to be have a great like social life there. What are the types of information that coaches or directors can provide to students that would motivate them to pay attention in a place where otherwise they wouldn't have. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I feel uniquely positioned to speak to this directly because I actually spent the first 18 months of my time at Captain U locked in a proverbial broom closet, channeling my inner Harry Potter and making literally thousands of phone calls to parents and athletes. And just understanding what they respond to and how they communicate and what types of things are important to them when considering a university. So there's a lot of things that directors can be can be communicating. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think the things that everybody starts with are always, you know, what's it like to be a student at your university? What are the university's goals? What are their mm-hmm. values? Um, you know, if they're a faith-based institution, we want to make sure that that's captured. If you know, and and then just the overall environment, right? We want to make sure that these these students coming in understand, okay, this is more of an urban setting, or this is more of a rural setting, or this is a pure Midwestern college town, you know, that you read about or see in the the romantic movies or whatever. Um, (laughs) So we want to kind of provide as much scope of the environment for the student and sort of paint a picture of what they will feel and experience when attending this university for four years. And again, this goes back to kind of what I, I, a point I made earlier, where we're looking to place these students at universities where they're going to go the distance. They're going to earn a degree. And we want to capture that in our engagement, even very early on and and kind of paint that picture for them. When these students hear from this, whether it be a coach or director, they should kind of see themselves walking across the the stage four years down the line, earning a degree here, right? That's the eventual goal for, for this process. So, um, you know, it really comes down to, I think, identifying for each program individually, what their key, call-outs are, whether it be facility-based, values-based, staff-based, you know, certain um, institutions have just like a rock star staff that we want to highlight, and helping them to put their best foot forward. And again, I don't mean this as a pure um, sales pitch, but that's again where a lot of value can be brought to the table by Captain U is by helping kind of craft some of that and helping directors or coaches find that voice if they're feeling a little bit lost in the woods there. Absolutely. So there's a lot of students that probably are listening to this. Um, you know, I, I think that the reality is when you are in that last half or quarter of of high school, there's so much going on. Life is changing so rapidly. You barely, you barely really can observe all of it in a thoughtful way. You know, I mean, damn, when I was 17, the things yeah. that I was focused on were we're not making smart financial choices. And I, I honestly, that it sounds gooberish, but like, I wish that someone was, was helping me because the reality is the average student, at least that I can speak to, they don't really know what is in store when they're choosing the college. 
Sure. Those surface level things are going to last a very short amount of time. And then the tuition is going to mm-hmm. become a real thing. The type of classes and class size that you're going to be exposed to, the strength of the majors and the type of professional network you're going to be able to draw on in that place. These are not things related to the band and they're not necessarily even things related to the team, right? But when you're making these choices, it's like, all right, I'm about to either invest a lot of money and or a lot of time. So if I'm going to choose this place to play Div 2 soccer or to to be in the the basketball band or to be in the, the marching band, it can't just be like, I want to go here because of the band and that's it. Or I want to go here because the campus is cool and that's it. It's also these other questions that no one teaches you to ask. You who is who is telling the students, "Hey, how much grant money can you get that you're not actually going to have to to pay back? Like how much how much of that money is going to just be given to you if you go here? Uh, which institutions are going to reward you for your academic background more than others?" Um, which are the places that are going to spit you out into a job versus into kind of a state of confusion that that's just, you know what I mean? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like we as a company and, and what we are looking to foster, what we look to create is a much clearer funnel between this is what's really going down at this university and the student, because right now the touch points are Instagram. Right. Mm-hmm. The students on Instagram, they're like, I want to go to UConn. That's where I graduated from for undergrad. The marketing and the language and what UConn's going to be putting forth is not going to be the full story via their Instagram. Right. Sure. You got to dig into like more layers and figure out like, okay, yeah, it's like the Huskies and they have a badass women's basketball team. And like, but are you interested in being in stores, Connecticut? Uh, do you know, do you understand what that's going to mean? Um, what kind of in-state tuition versus out-of-state? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's not a clear process. I feel like choosing college is, has been such a, for me has been such an important part of my life because now I live with those loans. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm asking a question, but I just feel like it's not that clear. I wish that there was just a clearer way to go from point A to B and, all those decisions are informed. First of all, one of my favorite, I guess we'll call it like barroom questions is if you could go back in a time machine to any point of your life and live like a six month period, what would you choose? And for a long time, and and I've noticed that, you know, I've realized that my answer probably will change as I get later into life. But for a very long time, it was second semester of high school, senior year, because that was just such a fun whirlwind of a time. And to your point, I didn't really feel like I captured it all right like it went by so fast and it was like yeah such a big end of an era and then you're off to this next step and for me that was literally moving to a different state a different part of the country and you know having some culture shock in in a good way i mean i i went from colorado down to louisiana so i got to partake in a lot of the southern hospitality and meet dozens of beautiful hundreds of beautiful people down there but um it's still really it's it's really intense and it can be right and this is a very formative time for for these students as well and and i really do try to think of think of them as students first um, regardless of whether they're athletes or performers or musicians or whatever the case may be just students first and um to your point of you know instagram marketing all of those 
methods of distribution are going to be through kind of rose colored glasses, right? Because I mean, yes. my Instagram feed is very carefully curated to make me look as awesome as possible as I guarantee <laughs> most other people's are too. Like that's what it's for, right? You put your best foot forward, you post pictures where you look good, stuff like that. So how do you kind of cut through some of that and give these students and their parents that perspective on, you know, what it's really like to be at that university? And, and I think that a lot of the coaches that I work directly with do a really good job of painting that picture for, for their, their students, their incoming freshmen. And those are the students that typically go the distance and again, earn that degree and, and all that great stuff. It's, it's really, in my opinion, comes down to just honest communication and opening up a channel for that honest communication. And, you know, I'll kind of speak to this a little bit without getting too far into the weeds, but um, the idea of recruiting on social media makes me a little bit nervous just personally, uh, just because there's not a ton of oversight and accountability there. And, and again, what we're hoping to do is provide just a safe and secure channel for these, these students and the people looking to recruit them to communicate. And the parents have full insight into any point of communication happening within Captain U. They can log into these athlete or performer profiles at any time and see exactly what's being communicated in between parties. Uh, any youth coaches can also access this information. Um, so within the database, there's full accountability, full security, and the feedback that we're getting from both coaches and band directors uh, alike is they really like that. They're really encouraged by that. They, they are looking for you know, social media has been a, a, a fine recruiting tool for many years past, and I do know that coaches use it actively, and I'm not here to resource bash. If that's working for their program, then that's awesome. But the feedback that we are getting is there are there is a, a fairly significant population that enjoys the idea of having this more secure area to have those conversations. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a potentially vital service where there's just a lot more accountability and security for everybody to feel more comfortable because this is a really exciting and fun time for these athletes, right? And, and excuse me, for athletes and performers. Um, again, there's a reason I, I would love to go back and relive that six months is because it was really fun and really cool and, and really exciting. And, you know, probably had the most potential to look forward to in my entire life at that stage, you know, because you're old enough to realize, to appreciate your future, but young enough to still have all the, you know, hopes and dreams and shoot for the stars mentality when you're a senior in high school. So it's just a really cool time. And, and anything we can do to provide a little bit of, um, clarity i think for anyone looking to be recruited do some recruiting is really where we just want to try and add value absolutely are you looking for a high quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts that dan band show is brought to you by lot riot apparel lot riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts and he definitely accomplished that goal there's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. 
LockRide is currently offering listeners of that Dan Bancho 15% off all purchases on LockRide.com. Simply go to LockRide.com and use the code DANBAN, one word, at checkout, and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast use the code DANBAN will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Band Show pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now to get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. It's hard to slow down when you're 17, 18, you're, you're either applying and getting into a bunch of schools and, you know, my parents, God bless them. You know, they were, they were essentially like, wherever you get in, you can go. Um, and we're going to just take loans out, you know? So as a 17 year old, it was like, you know, I was visiting my friends down here. I'm in Philly and they were all, you know, a bunch of friends at Temple. And I went, came down a bunch of weekends. I was like, I'm going to Temple. Like, I love it. I love the city. Like, you know, I'm, I, I love the people that I met there. Um, and by no means would I ever say that I like regret that choice, but I didn't end up finishing at Temple. The years that I lived in the city, it plugged me into a, an amazing network of people, but it didn't necessarily, that wasn't my degree granting institution. UConn was. Mm. So I legitimately ended up spending 75% of my undergraduate loans are to an institution that I don't have a degree from. And ultimately UConn is just about at the same level as Temple in some ways higher um, yeah. than, than Temple, at least from what I was doing. And not <laughs> to mention again, like you're talking about culture shock we come from this world in high school where everyone's like making sure you get through and making sure you get by and your teachers are like, Hey man, you're, you know, you're messing up. And they're like kind of up in your face. And then, you know, for me and many people you go to, you know, I don't know about you, but you go to an institution and you're in a 200 to 300 person lecture hall. Yep. So, you know, I started as a psych my, uh, ma- major rather psych undergrad. Mm-hmm. My psych survey was 300 people. I got like a C minus yeah. in it. It was like my best subject. And it was just like, Okay, head scratch, you know, it, it was just like one of those moments where it's like, it's just there's so much flowery stuff out there about like, come here, like, you'd think that every institution is like the best place ever. What we're trying to talk about is like, the custom fit approach. So talk to me a little bit about that, like, that custom fit idea, like how can directors provide the right information so that students can get the custom fit? What should students be looking for? What kind of questions can be asking? Cause that this is the world we live in now is making informed choices and finding a place that really suits you as an individual, rather than just like buying into a brand that you're actually not totally privy of what's going on. I always tell people, well, my, Obviously, I went to school in the South, and I always tell people that my decision to go down there was actually the best decision that my dad ever made for me, because he <laughs> made it very clear when I was rounding the corner senior year that, you know, even though I wanted to go to CU Boulder and, you know, kind of stay close to home, that he really felt like it would be a good idea for me to experience a new culture, and knowing me as well as he did, obviously, being my dad, and, you know, we spent a lot of hours on the basketball court together, so he obviously knew me. He knew that I would love going to school down in Louisiana, so it's it's kind of funny to hear you describe your, your experience experience changing schools. And, um, you know, I went down to LSU kind of in the back of my mind, fully intending to transfer at some point and obviously Mm -hmm. fell in love with the South and stay down there, yada, yada, yada. But 
in order to find that perfect fit, if you don't have someone, as I was super lucky to, like my dad, to just say like, nope, this is the perfect school. You're going here because you got in and it's amazing. How do you kind of navigate that? And how do you, how do you explore that? Um, from, from the, the student side, I think it's really up to the students just to have conversations, usually, you know, with their parents or who, who's ever kind of guiding their, their recruitment journey, whether it's parents, guidance counselors, coaches, band directors, kind of whoever that mentor person resource is for you. Have a very frank, honest conversation about what it is you want to get out of your collegiate experience. Do you want to go to a big school? Um, you know, do you want to go to one of the a D1 school, whether it be on the athletic or the musical side that has, you know, that 300 person lecture hall that you referenced? Or would a more intimate liberal arts or smaller private school setting be a good fit for you, where the class size is a little bit smaller, there's a little bit more one-to-one attention? I personally went to a private Jesuit high school, so I was ready for that bigger state school environment. I'd never been to the public school, and I wanted to do that in college. I wanted that you know, kind of college town atmosphere, and whether it was Boulder or Baton Rouge, I knew that's what I wanted. And, and so that's when it kind of came down to deciding between the two schools that those were my two decisions because I'd already outlined very clearly in my own mind, here are the things that I know are priorities. And then you kind of make a short list of the areas, you know, that you apply to, then that you get accepted to, then that you get, you know, any financial aid or scholarships to. And from there, you kind of pare it down while still keeping those guiding priorities in mind, whether it's the environment, the majors, the, you know, just reputation of the institution, a particular band or sports team that you want to compete for at the next level, whatever those priorities are, start there and then narrow your scope appropriately. And then when thinking about it from kind of the the director side, it's giving athletes as much information about your program as possible to try and fall into as many of those lists. You know, when we think about students creating their their big list of schools that fit their criteria and shortening those, right? right? As a director, you want to deliver as much information so that you land on as many of those short lists as possible. And we found that the way to do that is just to communicate because there are not a lot of other, in my experience, other great resources for the performing arts to just educate us as a culture on what's going on. I mean, I'm subscribed to like the Denver Center for Performing Arts, but I get 10 times as many emails from like the Denver Nuggets and Broncos ticket office as I do the DCPA. So there's clearly a massive disconnect in the amount of resources that are being, you know, utilized for athletics and for performing arts. And we see Captain U as a potential way to maybe close that gap a little bit and, you know, just provide some of the same sort of outreach and content generation resources for the performing arts as athletics has been enjoying for many years. Yeah, I love that. That that really springboards just a couple topics that are really kind of prescient in the marching arts. Um, PR is just huge. We, we don't really put enough attention to putting ourselves out there. I think there are some groups that do better than others, but it's not the standard. Um, whether it is, you know, a college band, I'm more now thinking into, you know, DCI, WGI. There's different approaches to it, but certainly not to the standard and consistency of what we see, both like in the individual teams or the national governing bodies in sports. Um, you know, NCAA sports. They're, they're wildly competitive. Like there's no question that like the, 
you see something in those players. There's like a hunger there that sometimes you don't even see in some of the NBA players, for example, right? Or some NFL players. Like I love watching college football, honestly, more than the NFL because there's a different energy about it. Um, and some of the technical things that maybe they haven't achieved yet, I don't care about. I just love that there's so much fire behind it. And certainly, you know, the, the different, you know, what, what just happened with like those two schools just changed divisions and this and that. There was like, there's like a drama being played out that we all are into in the marching arts. We are, we have a little bit of a, of wavering identity in terms of like how much PR we want around ourselves. Well, it's all about the education and it's all about the kids and all about the experience. Well, that's all great. And it is about that. And that therefore we should use this as a platform to make ourselves more popular and more available. Um, whether it is transparency, whether it's PR and marketing, I just don't know that this is as critical and it's not necessarily just an issue about money. It's just an issue about creativity because we have these tools in our hands. Um, and I've seen groups who are like, yeah, we're going to commit ourselves to getting our TikTok out there. And like, they go legit viral, like viral, viral, mm-hmm. not just viral within our space. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a major difference too, is it is much easier to recruit from an athletic standpoint because football is just more popular. So like, I don't know where to go with this. Like, I think this is just something that I'm, very obsessed with because I'm, I'm a person who loves pop culture. I'm a person who is into that space. I'm into like hype stuff. Mm -hmm. And I also am into this wildly niche activity. I mean, you know, we've been working together now for a while and it's like, I, I love that space. I live in this space, but like, why isn't there like a marching Jordan? Right. Why isn't there a Nike marching shoe? Like that's where my head goes. And I don't know where, it all connects, but I just feel like as an activity, I don't know that the marching arts are like, we're like, we're too busy teaching and we're too busy designing, you know? So I just, I don't know where to go with that because I feel like that is an important um, part of this is just like, how do we get out there? Yeah, absolutely. And and the last thing I want to do is, you know, obviously I've hopefully at this point made it very clear that I am kind of marching band adjacent. I wouldn't know what to do with that trumpet from fifth grade if it smacked me over the head right now. I'm definitely not as plugged into this as the other guests on this podcast. But um, if anyone is interested in sort of building a voice or a brand or an identity within this. I think services or, or systems like Captain U are, are great ways to go about that um, on an individual level or on an institutional level. And and going back and being uh, the producer for this have obviously been part of, or at least lurking in the conversations that you've had so far. Um, and, you know, a couple kind of spring to mind when, when discussing this, you know, Travis Wade, um, all the stuff that, you know, Travis was discussing building the, the excellent um, sort of social media presence for the, the institutions that he worked with. That was really, really great to hear. Um, and then, you know, building a brand with Matt Verberg over at Lot Riot. I think, you know, obviously I'm a little bit biased because I'm part of this podcast and they're one of our partners, but right. they seem to be, at least from the expo- little exposure that I've had, one of the few within the space that's really trying to carve out uh, some identity for for the marching arts and, and to sort of say like, hey, we're here. This is your gear. This is your branding. You know, this is something that you can wear 
are around town and be proud of the fact that you march and and you know that's really cool and that's something to be celebrated so i think there's there's definitely a lot of potential for that to happen and again i'm not here to dictate how anybody should go about it but if anyone is interested in going about it we are here's the support system and kind of again the scaffolding to by which that can happen um and then to kind of speak speak a little bit more i guess from a prescriptive standpoint when I'm shifting gears and now talking about this from a purely athletic recruiting space, which I do feel like I have a little bit of authority to speak to, for them, it is all about building a brand. And it's only going to get more so with this uh, name, in, image, and likeness uh, legal legality coming through now. Collegiate athletics and anything that's athletics adjacent is about to see probably a pretty significant shakeup in that a lot of these what were former considered amateur players, performers can now be making money off of their own image and likeness, which I think is great. I think it's awesome. Um, Personally, I'm fully supportive of it. And I think that the more all of these young people can do to just sort of educate themselves on the benefits of, you know, engaging with a particular institution, whether that be for a drum corps that's outside of college or, or a collegiate marching band, make sure that their values are aligned with yours and that, you know, whatever brand you hope to build. And I, I hate to use that term of like building your own personal brand because coming from the sales world, it just feels like such a sales buzzword these days. But um, whatever values that that institution, that university is putting forward are aligned with yours. And I would say, if you can get lucky enough to find one that advances that branding or building or generation, whatever you want to call it, um, that's where the real magic happens is if you can not only find uh, an institution that's aligned with you, but that can move you and your development, your career, your education, your athletic resume, whatever it is, move that forward. That's where you see, you know, the, the real value and, and the real learning come through. I think. That's such a great point there. There's a human at the end of all this. Yes. No matter what we do, like it, it doesn't matter because there's only so much you can do in, in life period. And yeah, go, you know, if you want to be a robotics major and build r- robots, there's plenty of choices for that. But what actually matters is who's going to become your like guru, who's be- going to become like your guy or your girl, and who's going to become that person that inspires you to, to do it your special way and, and then you know, sends you off into the world or who's going to become, you know, your grad um, advisor and then is going to help you through the PhD. Like there's, there's more, it's not just like, that's it, you know? And I think once I learned about that, like my whole, my whole trajectory changed once I actually did to, you know, to spiral back in and through and out. Um, when I finally transferred to UConn, I, I went to uh, the Stanford campus, which is an offshoot campus. Um, and it's really small. It's way, way smaller. And the first like month or two I was there, I was bummed because I had transferred from Temple. I was doing a lot of traveling because I was, you know, I was like marching indoor, marching drum corps. And I just didn't need to be paying the way I was and paying for rent. So I just moved back with my parents for my last year and a half of my undergrad. In the first two months there, I was bummed. I was like, dude, this is like so small and it just doesn't feel like, it just doesn't feel like how I felt, you know, those first, that first year or two at Temple. Um, but then I actually got into the classroom and, you know, my, my, uh, my academic advisor was one person. You know, when I went to Temple, you would sit in line and then you would be in a booth with a stranger and they'd be like, yeah, do this. Like I made, 
bad decisions. No one there was helping me. I didn't know who to talk to. Finally, going to UConn, smaller institution, my my academic advisor is also my capstone professor, which is like the last class you take. And he was another one of my professors. Like the English department was like way, way smaller. And I started to have real interactions with people and they they oriented me a little bit about what I wanted to do and into my next phases of life and just like what kind of person you become. Like when you're a junior, senior in, in college, just like you were talking about high school, those are those are such important times. But you uh, luckily can slow down and your brain is slowing its craziness down and um, you start to pick up a little more of the breadcrumbs on the way. And if I didn't, you know, if I didn't end up going to UConn, like I would have never probably applied and gotten into my grad program, which was funded and um, which I got paid to be in. Um, I never would have eventually started a PhD, which I ended up not finishing for different reasons or podcasts you can listen to on which I, I speak on that. But, um, you know, I, I finally was making those, those human connections. You know, I had never really I didn't look at Temple and go like, who are the people teaching me? I was like, it's an institution. It's cool. Whatever. I think that's what you're getting at is like the sooner you make that connection with a person, they can give you that insight. You're going to make better informed decisions on what you're doing. Yeah. And so I actually have a personal experience that maybe, I guess, may drive this point home that you're you're making. So when I did my official visit to LSU in October of my senior year of high school, again, bear in mind that I did not want to go to LSU at this stage. Right. I was fully set on, on wanting to go to CU Boulder. And, um, you know, my dad kind of had other ideas. And um, so went down there and was fortunate enough to have a meeting with a professor at LSU named Dr. Maribel Dietz, who um, is the resident medievalist at LSU. Oh, wow. And she became my academic mentor, for lack of a better term, picked me out of 28,000 other undergrads as someone that, you know, just was deserving of a little bit more of her extra attention. And, you know, I was, what, at 17, 18, wandering into her office on a Tuesday afternoon during her office hours as a collegiate professor at this major, you know, Power Five university. And she took an hour to, you know, tell me a little bit about the classes she taught and make my parents feel very safe. And I, I do think she was a major motivating factor in kind of why my dad was like, hey, you're going down there. But for me, she was always kind of that person that I could go back to and say, you know, hey, Professor Dita, I obviously want a degree in history, but like, do I have to take this algebra or, or this calculus class? And she would help me find like, no, this is what we call the math for history majors class. Like you're, you're in the humanities, you're under the wing of the humanities department now. Like we've taken you under our wing. There's, there's guidance resources here. So I would say, you know, when we think about navigating those waters, especially again through this really formative time for for these students and parents, it's it's all about identifying those people. Whether you're at a school of 500 or, or 50,000, it's all about identifying those people because no matter what, at the at you know at the collegiate level, these these are all educators, they're all teachers, they're working at these universities because they want to foster the minds of the youth of tomorrow. I mean, that's kind of in the job description, right, for being a collegiate professor or a coach or a band director or whatever the case may be. So if you can just, you know, really identify that person or, or at least, um, you know, that network of people that can kind of help provide you with a little bit of that guidance, 
early and often, I think for me was just the key, you know, speaking from my personal experience and my personal story, um, not feeling like one amongst many at a big university like LSU lost among the masses. It was just, you know, always having, having that sort of lifeline there. And I didn't attend classes with Professor Dietz all eight semesters that I was there. Um, I was lucky enough to do like five or six, I think. So uh, more often than not, I was in her classroom a few times a week and, um, you know, kind of having some of that. But um, if you can just find that person, whether it be that band director, that coach, that teacher, that guidance counselor, that one individual that can kind of help provide that sort of landscape, then, you know, I I think you got a much better shot of, of feeling like a part of that community. And if not, Heading up through the recruiting process, that's exactly what Captain U is designed to do, is be that person, that, you know, that kind of stand-in. And that's what you and I are here to do for the, the folks on the performing arts side. Absolutely. And I, I, to, to your point about Professor Dietz is frequently, if you are a high school student and you want some insight, you can email these people. You oh, can yeah. get on the departmental website and go like, all right, like legit, once I get into my core classes, who is going to be... Yeah. the important figures and you can reach out to them and call them. I still do. Yeah. Send an email. Like those are real people. And that's where the real answers are going to come. Not really from, you know, the faceless individuals and in advising or they're trying to, there's a volume thing going on or a bursar's office. They, they need to make sure that you're paying, but the professors are going to be able to be like, like you just said, here are the classes you should really take. Yeah. Here, here's the direction that you should really go. So as we kind of round third here, I want to ask you if you could go back and talk to the Pete Davidson of, let's say, like end of junior being in his senior year, what would you tell him? That's a great question, especially <laughs> since, as I mentioned, I've spent so much probably an inordinate amount of time examining that part of my life and be like, what could I do differently if I could do it all over yeah. again? So I would definitely tell him to stick with basketball. Um, you know, I, I, that was something that my dad and, and I connected over and he, he walked on at Miami of Ohio um, when he was doing his undergrad in Ohio before going on to law school. So he and I have loved basketball our entire lives. And, um, you know, it's something that we still connect on to this day, uh, constantly calling him up and asking him if he saw that game or whatever. Um, so I would have told him to stick with basketball. I would have told him to find a resource like Captain U, uh, because, you know, I was, of course, everybody has this vision of, uh, I grew up in the Kobe Bryant era. So going straight from high school to the NBA at the age of 18 and being amazing. But when you play the position of power forward or center and top out at six foot two, 180 pounds as a high school senior, that's not really in the cards for you at that stage. But right. if I would have known that there was a system like this and, and there were just starting to be systems like this at the time that, you know, maybe I could have ended up playing or even just walking on even at a D2, D3 school and, and, you know, wouldn't have gotten the big collegiate experience that I was looking for. But if I would have reprioritized a little bit, um, I think that's definitely something I would have loved to explore as an option for me, even just to play for a year at, you know, a smaller school and then transfer into the big, you know, the big, uh, uh, bigger university, just to be like my dad and play that one year or something. Um, and then from there, I would have, I, I guess, thinking not necessarily trying to think outside the box a little bit. Um, the last thing I would leave him with is just be curious. Continue being as curious as possible. Um, you know, the next four years are going to be some of the best of your life, some of the most challenging of your life in a lot of ways, but you're going to grow, you're going to learn. So just try and soak up as much as, much as you possibly can. 
Yeah, that's a good one. Um, to direct a question at myself, because um, yeah. I, I, fe- <laughs> I feel like it, and my name is in the title of the podcast, um, I wish someone had grabbed me and told me that grades were money. Um, this goes back further than that because I had fudged up my grades just a little bit throughout high school because I had some other, you know, uh, areas of focus. And, you know, I don't think high school is geared to be very interesting, to be honest, not, not for, not for me. Um, so I would have definitely been like, A's are going to be money in a couple years here when you are applying, get A's. It's your job and it will equal actual dollars. And then, you know, related to that is like, look in state for somewhere that meets the requirements. And like, I didn't do college band, but now looking back like that, I have a skill that would have kicked me back 500, a thousand, $1,500 a semester. And I was more interested, you know, I was pursuing like the competitive drumline aspect, but there was, there are all these corners where these institutions are set up to pay you if you arrive with the right credentials. And I never felt like that was made clear to me. It was like, you have all the choices in the world. It was like a very laissez-faire counseling process between my parents and, you know, my actual school. I don't remember talking, consulting with a single person. So I definitely would have just made it so clear, like, Hey, like the choices you make in public school where, where you have no debt and you're not paying for anything that will become tangible dollars that you make and don't have to pay off later. So, cause I'm, I'm going to be dealing with my undergrad debt till I'm 60 something. That's real. That is a real thing. And, you know, we live in a crazy time where we actually don't know what the future holds for the job market period. It's so uncertain. So it's just like, I just want students to like be informed and come out of high school and like have a clear vision of like what they're dealing with. Cause it's a confusing world we live in. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely, first of all, I completely agree with everything you just said. I got, I was lucky enough to receive an academic scholarship to LSU and still just got done paying off my loans like this year. So, I mean, it's something that whether you have resources provided to you by the university, just understand that it's something everybody deals with. And then I think the last point I would make is, and, and I know that this is a little bit crazy coming from the director of sales at Captain U, but college isn't for everybody. Um, and I think especially we're seeing a lot of alternative programs, educational programs right now cropping up that are excellent, you know, like computer engineering. There's a local one in Denver called Turing Institute that uh, one of my buddies has a, a liberal arts degree. He has a he's a double major in fine art and psychology. And I knew going into it that, you know, well, says the guy with the history degree here, too, that is working in sales. So far be it for me to <laughs> stand on my high horse by any means. But he ended up going back and, and doing that. And I had a conversation with him over the weekend. And I was like, so if you could have not spent $80,000 on your undergrad degree, double major that, you know, you got a 3.8 degree and then just spent the $12,000 in that computer programming thing and started your career five years earlier, would you do it? And for the answer, for him, the answer was no, he wanted to go to college. That Student loan was worth it for him. It, it just was. But that's not the answer for everybody. So I would just encourage everybody. Uh, and again, this is kind of going back to what maybe I wanted, you know, told myself, uh, if I could do it all over again, chances are I'd end up right back at LSU, hopefully, you know, with my same three roommates in room 200 in Herget Hall at the same scenario and just have it all pan out. But 
for everybody, you know, I, I, it goes back to that be curious, explore other opportunities, see what is the best fit for you. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what I want people to take away from this conversation with me, hopefully, is we're not in the business of telling anybody what to do, but if we can help you find the answers, we're, we're certainly here as a support system. My main goal is just find whatever is the perfect fit for you, whether it be a four-year degree, two-year degree, somewhere that you start off and then you transfer and finish up elsewhere, whatever it is, do whatever is going to make you happy. And that may not be the traditional, traditional path. So, and I just would encourage everybody to find their own, whatever the shape that takes. Boom. Heard <laughs> that, everybody. We got to close out on that. That was some wisdom y'all. All right. I'll see you all next time. Pete, thanks for jumping on and uh, everyone like subscribe, follow us on Instagram, leave us a review and we appreciate you all. See you next time. Peace. Thanks everyone.